welcome to episode six of Trinity Reconnected. My name is Jerry Foley. Today I'm catching up with three more 1982 graduates from Trinity College in Dublin. All three studied law at college and are still practicing law 40 years later. So let's meet them, starting in Bilbao. Hi, Jerry. Uh, Rocco Kyra here, born, bred, and buttered in, in Dublin um, of an Italian family. Um, studied law, became a solicitor, met my Basque wife uh, in 1987. We got married two years later, moved to, to Bilbao three years after that. Uh, I requalified here, so I'm now practicing as an abogado. I also do some university lecturing. And uh, very proudly, I'm the Honorary Consul of Ireland in Bilbao, and I cover quite a wide area up here. That's something to be very proud of, and we'll be talking about a little bit later. It's time to go over to Tanya, who's in London. Okay, greetings from North London, where it's a beautiful sunny day. Um, I'm Tanya Sless. Uh, like Rocco, um, I went to Blackhole Place and qualified as a solicitor after leaving Trinity. Um, I was very fortunate to join um, a family friend in his practice, a friend of my father. He was a personal injury lawyer, uh, which was just the greatest stroke of luck because it meant that I became a personal injury lawyer, which is a fascinating area of work. I know it's not glamorous or... Um, considered to be very attractive, but it's really, really interesting because dealing with people, their issues in their lives. I ended up coming to London um, because I met somebody and was promised that we'd only stay here for two years. Um, and that was uh, quite some years ago. We now have two children, two sons, and um, I'm a solicitor still here in private practice, um, handling personal injury law, law um, and the- from called DAC Beechcroft. Uh, thank you for that, Tanya, and we'll talk a little bit more about why personal injury is such an interesting area of law. And we're going now to Dublin, and this time to Eamon. And Eamon, you can introduce yourself, but you're not a solicitor, you're actually a barrister. I'm actually a barrister, yes. Eamon Galligan here. Um, I, uh, After finishing law in Trinity, I couldn't make up my mind whether to do town planning or to do the bar. So the only way I could resolve it was by doing them both. So I qualified in both around the same time, and then I went into the law library, started out a kind of a, a general practice with a bit of libel, personal injuries, consumer uh, consumer sale of goods and so on. Uh, and then ultimately, after about five years or so, uh, started specializing in planning and environmental law, subsequently wrote a book uh, on planning law, and uh, that, that did did, did wonders for my career. So um, I hope at this stage I'm established now. <laughs> <laughs> you would hope so, but yes. you are more than established. You're something of an expert in the area of planning. Again, all of you have gone on to get extra qualifications post-Trinity. But I want to go back to you, Tanya, because I would say that I was a hardworking student. I took my studies fairly seriously, but you seem to have taken it up a notch and spent most of your time in Trinity in the library. Yes, very sad looking back. I think what what a misspent time in university. But I had, I suppose, a chip on my shoulder. I came, I scraped it. I really scraped into law. And there were all these brilliant, brilliant students around me who had four A's at A level coming from the north of Ireland. And I had, you know, really, well, my, my results were not stellar. So I threw myself into studying because I was so determined to read every case on every case list, go to every lecture. I know Eamon says there were only eight hours of lectures, but believe me, not every student attended those eight hours. That was for sure. 
Um, I used to hand my notes around afterwards because I typed <laughs> them up after second year. So. No wonder you were so popular as, as a go-to source. Um, Eamon or Rocker, do either of you want to own up to not necessarily attending all eight hours of lectures per week? I, 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 I used to, like like Tanya, I think I... I, 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 I wouldn't have missed a lecture unless I, unless I had a very very good reason for doing so. And in fact, we, we were talking the other day about possibly in the law of property classes. It could be that at times only Tanya and I were, were we were the only ones actually attending. Certainly, there were very very few. So that could have been the case. Absolutely, we had some excellent lecturers. Okay, they weren't all excellent, but we had sort of a raconteur, um, Osborough. Was it Neil Osborough? William Neil Os W N O Osborough, and he was just—he was just so fascinating. There was very little law in some of the lectures, but they were just so interesting. And we had two future presidents of Ireland, one of whom was. Well, they were both inspirational in different ways, but one was an excellent lecturer as well as being an inspiration. So which one is Mary. which? Mary Robinson and Mary McAleese. So Mary McAleese. Mary, Mary McAleese. And I imagine the guys will have their view on her because she used to appear in almost thigh-high leather boots. <laughs> but she, she was a great lecturer and she was inspirational. Yeah. And she made you want to do criminal law, which, of course, none of us ended up doing. Um, and, and Mary Robinson was an inspiration in a different way. Um, because you just looked at her and you thought, wow, she's a wonderful woman and she's really changing the world and changing Ireland. And she did. She and went she on, yeah. both nationally yeah. and internationally. Uh, yeah. Rocco, do you have any memories of Mary McAleese and her yeah, high, yeah. high boots? In fact, if, uh, well, I, I, I couldn't remember the boots, but um, <laughs> I really enjoyed her lectures. And years later, um, I, I was at some event in Belfast um, and... Someone that I said to someone that knew her, I said, Look, she lectured me. And uh, he said, do you want me to introduce you to her? And and I swear to God, this is what happened. Um, I said, hi, uh, President, you, you mightn't remember this, but um, I was a student, Rocco Cairo, I was a student. Rocco, I remember you. Ah. I, I was really impressed, you know. And, um, Another real personality was um, Kader Asmal. Who became? Mm. I think he came became minister for uh, water in the South African government. He did. He yep. was a real. He was a real character. A very nice man. He was my tutor. Mm. Um, Yvonne Scanlon was another character as well. Um, a very interesting lecture. And uh, yeah, as I say, Alex Schuster. Um, on consumer law was 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 really excellent and entertaining. You know, there were there were lots of good lots of good lecturers there. Actually, we were so lucky. We really were incredibly lucky because look at that that row roll call of of inspirational people well yeah. here's my presidential connection which is pretty slim but uh after trinity i joined uh, the rt current affairs program today tonight and in my second year mary mcaleese used to come and do some reports for today tonight so she was a colleague uh she wasn't full-time i think at that stage so it was very good to to meet her in person obviously a very bright woman and then the other connection was when I came back to Ireland in 2017, 2018, working with uh, TV3, now Virgin Media, one of Mary Robinson's sons, Aubrey Robinson, was one of the producers, really nice guy. And he used to tell a story of being in his late teens, trying to get a taxi from Dublin city centre, saying to the taxi driver, yeah, drop me off at Arson Ucteron, and <laughs> being told, yeah, sure, yeah, okay, get out. <laughs> I think I I put together a collection in our last year, in fourth year, because she'd just given birth. 
and I dropped a present round to the house. But I can't remember if that was Aubrey, if he was it, the baby. I think he, he, was. he was the baby. That was Aubrey. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Listen, let's have a look at some of the societies you were involved in. Rocco, two of yours caught my eye because I don't remember them at the time. One was the Rifle Society and the other was yeah. the Elvis Presley Society. <laughs> Tell yeah. us more. Yeah, well, I always liked rock and roll, so there was that, and they they they'd organise these uh, um, music sessions. The, the Rifle Club was actually on off. Um, it, it wasn't in, so you had to go outside college and down a laneway. So, it, it, and it was something that was complete completely shut off from the outside world. So, unless you knew it was there. Um, and, and and it was it was the, the it was soundproofed and everything else, so you, you you couldn't hear it from outside. But yeah, but but you you were you you did these lying down. They were point two two rifles that don't make a whole lot of noise. And and actually, yeah, it is focusing and um, yeah, they were they were well organized. Yeah, it was relaxing actually. Yes. <laughs> and Eamon, you had a different interest, a much more sedate but energetic in its own way, being a member of the Choral Society. Well, not the Choral Society, actually. It was a smaller group called uh, College Singers. Ah. Uh, and it was comprised um, mainly of music students, really. Um, uh, some of the more famous ones who are members of the choir um, were Alison Browner, who's, a, who's a, an international singer, uh, Janet Harbison, who's the famous harpist, uh, Frank mm. McNamara, who's known for playing uh, piano on the, the Late Late. He was, he was, Frank McNamara was in the basses with me. Uh, so I was kind of uh, that way. We were in number five building there, where where the music school is. Uh, as John Dexter, who's who's the conductor of my current choir, which is the Goethe Institute Choir, uh, said, uh, I was a number five groupie. Uh, so um, <laughs> I played a bit of squash and and a little bit of rugby, like like Rocco, only uh, reaching third C's level, unfortunately. <laughs> I wouldn't have been good enough even for the third C's. Uh, Tanya, we know that you were pretty hardcore when it came to studying, but. You did get involved a, on a voluntary basis in an organisation outside Trinity. You found time for that during your Trinity years. Yes. So, so when I came to college, I, I before I came to college, I'd gone to Alex and before that Parkhouse. So I'd lived in essentially quite a Protestant world. I had a couple of Catholic friends, but really a Protestant world. And I didn't know many fellow Jews. But when I came to college, I met I met not only Catholics, but also Jews. And um, I got involved in a Jewish youth group. Jewish Youth Voluntary Service, and I, I made friends with, with other Jewish people, which, I mean, it seems strange, I had to go to college for that, but uh, yeah, it was, um, and that was, it was very rewarding, um, working mainly with elderly people, but, um, and there were quite a new number of elders in the community who, you know, were living alone. I want to now skip on to post-Trinity years, and I'm going to start with you, Eamon, uh, because you combined, as you say, an expertise in town planning, uh, planning law in general, and practicing at the bar. Given the Irish stroke British obsession with property and planning, it must be a pretty, pretty much in demand. I was never really interested in company law or anything like that. It didn't attract me. But something that you could see um, in the physical environment, I, f I found uh, much more interesting. Um, so I, I got interested in the in the pure planning side of it too. So as I say, I I went to UCD and I did the masters there, uh, and uh, but then ultimately specialised in in planning and environmental law, and and that's mainly what I've been doing for the last in more than thirty years now at this stage. 
And Rocco, you had to requalify in Spain. So what area of law, I know you do your lecturing, which I'll mention in a moment, but what is yeah. your area of law that you tend to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, I, I deal with commercial contracts mainly in, in English at this stage, but, but also, also in Spanish. So I started off, I spent a few years um, in the aerospace sector, and now it's mainly uh, construction work. So that, that that's that's the area that I've um, I've taken on. It's my clients are uh, well a, a few uh, Irish clients with businesses here, but mainly uh, local companies doing business abroad. That's yeah, the, no, that's a good again a good market. Tanya, in your introduction, you said you found personal injury to be very fascinating because of the intersection with people's lives. Mm. Uh, personal injury claims back home in Ireland got a bit of a bad reputation for a decade or more because practically everybody you knew or knew somebody who seemed to have bad whiplash. It's, it was yeah. different in, in, in the UK, wasn't it? I remember the stat when I was still practicing in Ireland that out of every seven rear end collisions, there'd be one whiplash in England and there would be four in Ireland. Um, I mean, whiplash here became a big thing in England as well. Uh, luckily, I've dealt with very relatively few whiplashes and, and generally more serious injuries. Um, Life-changing in yeah, injuries. Life-changing injuries. Sorry, that's not to denigrate those who do genuinely suffer from, from whiplash injuries, but I think it is something that is difficult to be certain about, shall we say. Yeah. But one so. of the things also in our exchange before today's conversation, one of the things you wanted to mention was that while your, most of your career has been in London, you also were involved in setting up an office back in Dublin, and you found that quite rewarding to have that opportunity. It was great. The colleagues said they were going to open an office in Dublin um, to service professional negligence um, clients. Um, and I said, really, I think there could be an interest from personal injury clients. Could I, could I see if that's the case? And now I think it's fair to say the personal injury department is the biggest department in our Dublin office, which has been a great success. And it is the loveliest office um, to be involved in. Really, just a really happy sort of, well, happy place. It's just a great office. And I was, I'm so proud to have been a founding partner of that, of that office. Eamon, you mentioned also that you recently did a case in Irish. How did that come about? I did, actually, yes. It, it related to a site uh, down in Connemara, and in fact, it's it's ongoing at the moment. Um, I always had an interest in Irish, um, and uh, we sent the the, um, the children to Skullurkon in Ballyanamonach, our monk stand, County Dublin, um, and the girls went on to Colossi Sagan. Uh, and I sort of kept up my Irish, just listening to the radio. Uh, the site is in a Gaeltacht area. You have the right to have your hearing uh, in, in heard through Irish, and present your case through Irish. And we, we said that we were entitled to have the statutory instruments translated into Irish. Um, and the High Court upheld uh, our argument in that regard, but it's, it's now been appealed to the uh, Supreme Court by, by the state. So that it, it was, I really had to upskill my Irish, I'd have to confess, because I'm not really a fluent speaker, but um, I, I managed anyway, I got by, you know. No, very interesting case. And, and Rocco, do you find yourself translating on a fairly regular basis legal documents in Spanish to English and vice versa? I, I hate translating. Um, <laughs> it, it's something I, I, I just I, I, I never liked. I, 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 what I tend I do is I, I generate the. I'm able to 
if I have to do a document in Spanish, I'll generate it in Spanish. And if I have to do one in English, I'll generate it in English. So I, I avoid, I, I generally can avoid uh, translating, thank God. It's, it's not something I've ever liked doing. I find it tedious and, <laughs> and boring. That's pretty clear in terms of what you don't like doing. Yeah. Let's, take a, a, let's take a short break, as we always do, to hear the latest 1982 news headlines, read as always by the former RT newscaster, Clodo Walsh. Biggest selling singles in the first few months of the year included The Land of Make-Believe by Bucks Fizz, Oh Julie by Shaken Stevens, while the now largely forgotten group Tight Fit had a huge number one with The Lion Sleeps Tonight. And later in 1982, Dexie's Midnight Runners shot to fame with a still popular Come On Eileen. Uh, Come On Eileen by Dexie's Midnight Runners, one of the great tracks not only of 1982, but also of the 80s. Um, Tanya, you were telling me that while you weren't a big pop music fan, you did manage to queue successfully for some Elton John tickets. Well, I felt very guilty. Um, we had a nine o'clock lecture. And of course, as I never missed a nine o'clock lecture, I got to the end of the queue. Or to the, I got to the queue just after 10 can't remember where the, they sold tickets then, but they were selling tickets. And two friends from ESS, Theresa Hegvold, with whom I later shared rooms with, and Gretchen Thornton, were in the queue. So I joined them in the queue, close to the top of the queue at this stage. And uh, we got to the top of the queue, bought the tickets. And as I came out, a photographer from the Irish, photographer from the Irish Times said, can I take your photograph? So my photograph appeared in the paper the next day saying I'd queued for hours for these tickets <laughs> to see Elton John. I think Theresa and Gretchen, it's fair to say, were not very impressed with this. And isn't it hard to imagine that Elton John is still on yet another final farewell concert tour I, around the world? So maybe I was, Yeah, I was looking at buying tickets, but it's in Watford in July. And I thought, no, I don't know if I'd go as far as Watford to see him. <laughs> and um, Eamon, music is very much a part of your family. In fact, all your children, as well as yourself, seem to be very musical. Well, yes, really. I think it came from my father initially. He was a, he was a songwriter. He used to enter uh, songs for international festivals in Chile and all around the world, and he, he had some success. Uh, then uh, I suppose I, I played the classical piano and I went to College Singers in Trinity, which was, which was really terrific. Uh, and then... The, the children then all took up musical instruments and got involved in traditional music through uh, Coltus Kjoltori Aaron. And mm-hmm. uh, so we have about 10 instruments in the house from inland pipes, harp, we have a couple of harps, we have concertina, flute, whistle, guitar, a couple of pianos, uh, a few other fiddle and violin as well. Uh, so uh, two of my girls do a bit of shando singing as well, you know, and they often sing in harmony together, uh, Grace and Aoife. Beautiful. Yeah, lovely. So... Um, yeah, so I, I wouldn't have been listening to Dexy's Midnight Mon- uh, Runners, I'm afraid. I'd, 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 I'd be more listening to Steely Dan and the, and the Beatles. And, of course, John Lennon got shot in 1980 when we were in college. Which yes, big, remember it very clearly. Mark. I think we all do. Um, Rocco, any music over in Bilbao? I've got a date in mind at the beginning of June. Dr. Feelgood are coming over here. Ah, so, now uh, you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be definitely, they, they won't be here in Bilbao, but they'll be 60 kilometers away. And that, that is not too far to go and hear them. 
Listen, tell us about your work um, as consul um, in Bilbao. How did it come about and, and what kind of responsibilities do you have on a day-to-day basis? Are you the person to go to if we run into trouble in downtown Bilbao? Yeah, yes, yes. Um, I, I had, I, I've been honorary consul from the, around the year 2001, 2002, but I, I'd had a good relationship with the embassy going back before that. And in fact, it was through accompanying someone from the embassy to give a talk at the one of the universities here that I ended up finding out about the uh, PhD program that I ended up completing. Um, On the Good Friday Agreement, which yeah, was an interesting subject to take right. up in Basque country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I thought it'd be useful. And in fact, I, I used to be asked to go to uh, uh, TV and radio programs to talk on uh, what was going on in, in, in you know, how the Irish peace process could could be relevant to what was going on here. And of course, it's it's very dangerous to, to try and... Um, compare the two but but you know you, you you learn from everything you learn from south africa as well but um i ended up being uh, appointed uh, first honorary vice consul and then honorary consul and uh, it, it's changing because a lot of, a lot of what can be done is now done online like renewing passports and whatnot but the the, the really big one that we're useful uh, on here is when people lose their passports um and they need a document to get back home and uh, so I issue emergency travel documents. But then well, from that, um, I, if if anyone wants to get married, they need to they need me to confirm that they're single. Um, <laughs> so there's a whole process to do that. Have you ever been duped? Don't answer that. Don't answer oh. that. <laughs> Listen, um, it's been great talking to you all. And one thing from the email exchanges, it's been kind of nice to know that all three of you who were good friends at college have also been talking to one another over the last few weeks. So, Tanya, a few memories came flooding back. Lots of memories came back. I remember such a very happy time, really happy time. But there was one uh, one difficult memory, and that was driving out from Trinity home um, and coming towards the RDS. There was a Bobby Sands march coming towards us, and that was incredibly scary, really frightening moment. Yes, previous episodes, we've talked to people's memories mm. of the hunger strikes and the protests yeah. and the burning of the British Airways office, attacks up at, uh, up in O'Connell Street. I, I, was over in, I was over in New York, actually, where, when the, the coffins were on Fifth Avenue. And I was actually staying with, with a guy who was kind of involved in all of that. And he, he used to go down and do sentry duty on the, on the coffins. Um, it wouldn't really have be where I was coming from. I was kind of a Republican with a very small or um, the, the, the 1970s were very violent and uh, these are, were much better times now, obviously. Yeah, no, thankfully. And Rocco, um, finally to you, do you go back and forth post-COVID, plans to go back to Ireland, catch up yeah. with friends and family? But yeah, I think it's going to be a big year for getting back to Ireland for all of us. Yeah, 40 years, it's time to go back. Yeah. You don't have to aim in, so stay safe <laughs> in Dublin. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us. And, of course, Rocco, all the way from Bilbao. That's it from Episode 6 of Trinity Reconnected. Thanks again for listening. Bye. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Jerry.